With the world steadily returning to pre-COVID activities, live performances are once more lighting up the stage. Eager to return to their routines, the question becomes how can musicians re-enter their previous playing lives without risking injury? Statistics show more than 80% of music professionals suffer from playing-related problems. These oftentimes can be debilitating and even career-ending. That from the Strad magazine in July of this year. So it's not only the emotional and economic toll the pandemic has taken on musicians, it's also a physical toll, too. The article goes on to suggest to readers that this is where the Taubman approach can help. Developed by legendary piano pedagogue Dorothy Taubman, the Taubman approach gives musicians transformative tools to prevent fatigue, tension, and pain, as well as improving their ability to attain musical expressivity at the highest level. While this approach was originally developed for pianists, I have also worked, says the writer, with instrumentalists of all kinds. I have long known that the root causes of fatigue, tension, and pain are the same with all instruments concerning the use of the fingers and hands. The Taubman approach addresses these problems with string players to help prevent RSIs. In the past 12 years, I have had the opportunity to work with violinist Sophie Till in great depth on these issues. And we would say that's because Sophie Till is an esteemed professional violinist and educator who cares passionately about players and their safety. Not only that, but she is equally caring about helping musicians develop into their very best selves as creative artists. Sophie Till never forgets why performers make music, and that is to present the power of the pieces they share in a way that connects us as humans, delights us, challenges us, and may even heal us. This is the final selection from an album titled Meditations, featuring violinist Sophie Till and pianist Gron Stabinski. They chose to bring the album to its conclusion with the final movement of the Quartet for the End of Time by Olivier Messiaen. Notes from Carnegie Hall remind us that Messiaen was called to active duty by the French army in 1939, serving as a hospital nurse. Soon after, he was captured by German troops and sent to Stalag 8A, a prisoner of war camp in Görlitz, Germany. According to violinist Jean Le Boulaire, who performed in the quartet's premiere, conditions in the camp were harsh. Nearly 50,000 French and Belgian prisoners were huddled in 30 barracks, built to hold 500 prisoners each. Prisoners were underfed, and unprotected from the brutally cold weather. When I arrived at the camp, I was stripped of all my clothes, like all the prisoners, Messiaen said. But naked as I was, I clung fiercely to a little bag of miniature scores that served as consolation when I suffered. The Germans considered me to be completely harmless, and since they still loved music, not only did they allow me to keep my scores, but an officer also gave me pencils, erasers, and some music paper. And so he began 
to compose. Messiaen started his quartet for the end of time with movements that referenced passages from his earlier works. The interlude was the first movement completely written in the camp, and it was rehearsed in the camp's bathroom. Messiaen, a composer like so many who, even in the most dire of all human circumstances, would cling not just to the consolation of music, but to its power to transcend even those most dire of circumstances. Sophie Till is associate professor of violin and director of the String Project at Marywood University in Scranton. She is also chair of the National String Project Consortium and faculty at the Golansky Institute, New York. She works internationally with many professional orchestral players solving playing-related injuries, in particular with players from the US, UK, and Australia. And she is the string specialist for the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra in the UK. As a result of her experience with professional players and children, she recently founded the Young String Players Health Alliance, an organization dedicated to building sustainable careers for young players and training teachers. Marywood University's Music, Theater, and Dance Department will present a three-day chamber music festival September 24th, 25th, and 26th. This festival, given by professional chamber musicians, is being presented as a welcome back to live performance festival, and the artistic director is Sophie Till. All concerts will be held in the Marion Chapel at Marywood and are free and open to the public. We had a chance to speak by phone with Sophie Till about the stresses and strains on musicians during the pandemic and all of us and the upcoming festival and its celebration of live performance. I think an enforced stop is a good thing for all of us. You know, we all spin in circles so fast and suddenly we were all pulled up short. Obviously there, there are tragedies and there's the dark side of the pandemic, but the other, the good side is to stop and have space to actually look back on what we're all doing and ask ourselves some pretty profound questions about what we are doing and what's valuable in it. And I think it gives us a new appreciation. For example, in the, you know, as we were picking literature for this festival and I was listening to various women composers and piano trios, I was like, wow, gosh, I, I haven't sat in this trio sound for 18 months. And so when you go to the first rehearsal, you really treasure that in a new way. Whereas if we're just endlessly <laughs> crashing from event to event, we, we don't really have that. So I think it has given us a time to really reflect on the value of live performance in a new way. And Teaching online is miraculous. I mean, I've done it for a decade already, so that wasn't a big switch, but so many good challenges to get someone to understand something physically without being able to move them is, it, it's fun. I mean, I really enjoy that. You just find yourself sometimes peering around the computer screen as if you have a 3D view of them. <laughs> you talked about moving someone physically. You have been exploring ways for performers to do what they do marvelously well, but also safely. That's something that's been a passion of yours. 
At what point are you now in that exploration? The wonderful thing about online is that many of the professional players that I see are in different countries. So it immediately solves that geographic problem. And we have access to wherever somebody is. I got an email today from a little kid in China, actually. So that side of it's really wonderful. I think the challenge in that regard is to be specific enough in guiding someone through a very complex process of training someone out of an injury and back into playing um, and giving them enough guidance and nurturing in a very difficult process through a computer. So that requires a lot of imagination, a lot of use of other objects, what I call 24-hour practice, which going around a supermarket is actually a great way to observe how you're doing certain things. That's a, a regular theme. But that's part of the interesting challenge of working with through the computer in these very complex situations. So, and I have been able to actually work with some of the big orchestras who have done back to work workshops. I did a thing for the BBC where people are trying to help their players get back into playing, you know, going from zero to 60 can be very challenging also. Is that something that's common that people are fallow for a while and then come back? This must be major league fallow right now, huh? Yes. And in fact, that's actually part, an important part of the process is actually not just helping someone with the playing, but helping them back into the work environment from rehearsing the environment of a rehearsal into a performance itself. And if you have to really see that process through to the end. Otherwise, you haven't done the job. <laughs> what about having a chance to study music for your own edification? I've been wanting to play that Brahms piano quartet. Let me sit down with the score and read through it. Did you have time to do things like that? So I'll give you a very honest answer. You know, there were slews of emails at the peak of the pandemic, you know, it was do your oil paintings now, write your novel now. But it was a remarkably unproductive time because of the tension of the atmosphere we were all in. I mean, I think more so as we've come out of it, as we, the realization that we're in this for a long time has enabled more of that creative stuff to go on. But I think in that initial stage of the pandemic, I kept looking at those emails and I'm thinking, this is not the time to be writing the novel. And Sophie, what was the genesis for this festival? Would this have happened even if there hadn't been a pandemic? That's a great point. I know it wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. I mean, I think this is really a celebration of live music in a concentrated period, exploring these different sized small ensembles, all kinds of wonderful literature. It's a, a sort of rich buffet of chamber music to celebrate the fact that we can do this, even in its slightly adjusted form. You wanted particularly to do this with certain players you know. It must have been that, wasn't it? Yes. It, it was that and certain literature as well to, to explore and spend time with, with these other musicians, which has been fun, really fun. So yeah, a, a great opportunity to celebrate time with each other, time with some spectacular music and sharing that with a live audience. Well, introduce us to the players then. So Friday night, we'll be with Jennifer Rooning Myers, who's a violinist. She works and lives in the Ithaca area and longtime player with the NEP in previous years. So she's no stranger to this area. 
and we'll be accompanied by Unsil Sue, who is the head of our music therapy program here at Marywood. And that's a, that's a fun program. There's some rich romantic stuff from Moskovsky, the suite for two violins, uh, big piano part, very rich harmonies. It's hard to beat two violins playing close together. <laughs> and then also in there is a wonderful piece by Prokofiev for two solo violins. It seems that he heard a, a piece written for two violins and was really unimpressed by it and decided that it must be possible to write something interesting and that he could do better. So <laughs> off he went and wrote another piece, which is it's actually exquisite. What he does so beautifully is to create these amazing textures by using the registration of the instruments. He'll have one player very, very high up, somebody else low down, then he'll put them close together. He's got all the percussive elements going of the instruments. So it's, it's very orchestral writing and brilliant writing for the two violins, really quite a special piece. Then the, the trio concert is all women composers. Um, we've got Clara Schumann, Rebecca Clark, and Amy Beach. When I found the Amy Beach, I was completely bowled over by even just by the, the opening. I mean, it's got this wonderful post-World War, slightly nostalgic feel to it. It's never sentimental, but incredibly colorful. Rebecca Clark, very dramatic. I feel a, a nice kinship with her. She grew up in, in the UK. She went to all the colleges I went to. She went to the Royal Academy, went to the Royal College, and then they made her play the viola. And then she moved over to the United States. So, you know, she was a contemporary of Schoenberg, but she was writing incredibly graphic music, but not in that contemporary style. It's, it's really a wonderful piece. It's very arresting from start to finish. And then Clara Schumann, she's just gorgeous. <laughs> gorgeous, smiling stuff. The trio concert will be with Christiana Beider and Ron Stabinski. 
And then the duo concert on the Sunday will be with Ron Stabinski. And we are playing a whole load of different things. We've got Schnitka, first violin sonata. What's great and fun about him is he, he can juxtapose the ugly, the crude sounds with absolutely beautiful, you know, he's, he's known as a polystylist. He can pluck all these styles and he can make it work. Most people can't make it work, but he can. So you've got the ugly, the beautiful, the ironic, and all mixed in together. There's some jazz stuff in there, but it's got a twist. So it's, it's really a fun piece. And then we're playing Schubert's wonderful fantasy for violin and piano, which is, I was thinking about this piece today. You know, Schubert wrote one big duo for violin and piano and some smaller ones. But the fantasy is really the spectacular piece. I think the, the form, he's such a masterful miniature composer, like in his songs. And this fantasy form that nobody else uses is perfect for him because he can create a large scale work, but using these miniature sections. And it, it really is a special piece. So there's Schubert and then Ravel. Uh, sonata, which has this wonderful blues movement, some kind of cool pizzicato stuff going on and fun sounds, and ends with a perpetual motion. Some Mozart, a little bit of Chrysler as well thrown in for good measure. So it's, it's a smorgasbord of composers. You have worked with Ron Stabinski for a long time. You did that Beethoven cycle. It must have been a remarkable experience for you to, certainly remarkable for us to hear. What do you say about a long-time association with someone like Ron? You've played with him in many ways, settings, I'm sure, and I think people don't recognize the fact that we have him here. I, I would say that um, my, my playing with Ron over the last 20, 25 years has been a, a really a major part of my life. I mean, he is really the musician I communicate most with, best with, I learn most from, I mean, those hours of practicing together are so rich. And then hours sitting in the car, listening, talking, driving down to South Carolina to play recitals together. It's really the whole thing. It's not just the rehearsing. It's, it's the spending time together. And, you know, we do have a common language because of being trained by the same teacher. Um, so there is a common way of talking about music that's really wonderful. But you can't, you can't substitute those 25 years any other way. And we've watched each other develop over that time as well. So I count myself incredibly lucky to have played with him for so long. You use the word polystylistic. He is able to cross genres. That's right. Ron has a huge brain <laughs> that covers all kinds of things. <laughs> so yes, it's better not to put him in any kind of category, but just leave him as Ron. <laughs> you mentioned the blues part in the Ravel. What happens when you two get going with Ravel? It's got to be thrilling because of what he brings to it from his experience with improvised music and jazz in New York and around. And yet you have that common framework from your teacher. How does that work out in a piece like that? So I think in, in the Ravel, in the Schnecke, you know, he, he brings ears that have multiple perspectives and dimensions to them. So he will 
play and talk about the music in a way that reflects that. And I don't have access to those dimensions. So it's really, yeah, I mean, it's really wonderful to, to share that with him and to hear what he's saying about things and what he's hearing and what he's seeing on the page. So it's, it really adds that whole multi-dimensional element to the music. Just tell us a little bit about the teacher you have shared. So we, we both studied with Edna Galansky in New York. She's a pianist and she is the founder of the Galansky Institute, the foremost institute for the training of the Taubman approach. And one of the specialties of the institute is actually helping musicians who've had playing related injuries. And I became interested in the work really through Ron and then started working for the institute, being trained by them. Um, but it's entirely because of Ron. While we were doing those Beethoven sonatas, I showed up for a lesson with him and became hooked. You know you wouldn't have devoted yourself to music all your life if you didn't think it was central in terms of nourishment of our souls and all of that. But would you say anything more about how much we need music or music has a role and a place in our lives now in 2021? I, I think absolutely. When I think about programs like our wonderful String Project at Marywood, and there we are working live in person with these fabulous children in orchestras, and they are able to communicate with music. It's part of their life. It's an important part of their lives. We really have to cherish that. You know, it's the easiest thing to get rid of. If you have to make cuts, it's the first thing to go because it's, it's the obvious thing to go, but in some ways it's the most important thing to stay. So keeping that going for our young children has become even more important. I think that the social element of music making for young people of all ages has become even more apparent in, during this pandemic. And we have to, we have to really nurture that. Um, and I think it's made us all appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to do that. Like it, it has affirmed the value in that process. I think I would just the last thing to say would be that having had colleagues in other institutions all over the country, how grateful we all are to Marywood for being willing to support something like a chamber music festival or keeping string project going. I am very aware of other, other musicians really struggling in other institutions. And we've, we've had the support that we need to keep going. And that is, you, you can't even start to put on a concert without that. And you can't start to work with these children without that or help the students without that. So I would like to say thank you to all those who have gone on seeing this as, as valuable and being willing to find a way, some way to make things possible. There is always a way, but you have to make that jump and you have to be willing to to take some risks and to, to find that way. To that end, we want to get together to hear live music, and you're giving us this wonderful array of pieces and musicians to allow us to do that. Tell us how we can take part and when. So the festival will be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 24th, 25th, and 26th of September in the Marion Chapel at the Schwartz Center at Marywood. All the concerts are free 
Friday and Saturday night at 7 p.m. and Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. And tell us about playing in the Marian Chapel. It's got a beautiful aura about it or presence. It, it really does. It's got that beautiful light from the glass behind the altar, um, which gives it an ambiance, which is you couldn't create with artificial light. Um, and it has that lovely sense of stillness about it that is waiting for music to happen or other, other things to happen in there. And it does like string playing. <laughs> it has an acoustic that is very favorable to string playing. So it's, it's really a lovely place to play. This is music recorded at the Marion Chapel at Marywood University, featuring violinist Sophie Till and pianist Ron Stabinski. Sophie Till, Associate Professor of Violin and Director of the String Project at Marywood University in Scranton. She is also Chair of the National String Project Consortium and Faculty at the Golansky Institute in New York. And she has been speaking with us about the Welcome Back to Live Performances Festival. The Marywood University Music, Theatre and Dance Department will present this three-day chamber music festival September 24th, 25th, and 26th, given by professional chamber musicians, and the concerts will be held, as we have just heard, in the Marion Chapel at the Swartz Center at Marywood, and the concerts are free and open to the public. An evening of violin duos, Friday, September 24th at 7. An evening of trios by women composers, Saturday, September 25th at 7. And then violin and piano duos, Sunday, September 26th at 1 p.m. with these players. Violinist Sophie Till and pianist Ron Stavinsky. If you need more information, marywood.edu, marywood.edu. And if you want to go directly, marywood.edu slash mtd slash events. And MTD stands for Music, Theater, and Dance. So marywood.edu slash mtd slash events. Welcome back to Live Performances Festival at Marywood University. And that's a three-day chamber music festival, September 24th and 25th at 7 in the evening and the 26th at 1 at the Marion Chapel on the campus of Marywood. The performances are free and open to the public. For more information, marywood.edu slash mtd slash events.